Chapter 24 of Louisa de la Valliera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliera by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter 24 The First Quarrel. La Valliera entered the Queen Mother's apartments without in the least suspecting that a serious plot was being concerted against her. She thought it was for something connected with her duties, and never had the Queen Mother been unkind to her when such was the case. Besides, not being immediately under the control or direction of Anne of Austria, she could only have an official connection with her, to which her own gentleness of disposition, and the rank of the august princess, made her yield on every occasion with the best possible grace. She, therefore, advanced towards the Queen Mother with that soft and gentle smile which constituted her principal charm, and as she did not approach sufficiently close, Anne of Austria signed to her to come nearer. Madame then entered the room, and with a perfectly calm air took her seat beside her mother-in-law, and continued the work which Maria Theresa had begun, when la valliera instead of the direction which she expected to receive immediately on entering the room perceived these preparations she looked with curiosity if not with uneasiness at the two princesses and seemed full of thought while madame maintained an affectation of indifference that would have alarmed a less timid person even than louisa mademoiselle said the queen-mother suddenly without attempting to moderate or disguise her spanish accent which she never failed to do except when she was angry come closer we were talking of you as every one else seems to be doing of me exclaimed la valliera turning pale do you pretend to be ignorant of it are you not aware of the duel between monsieur de guiche and monsieur de Warwick? oh madame i heard of it yesterday said la valliera clasping her hands together and you did not foresee this quarrel why should i madame because two men never fight without a motive and because you must be aware of the motive which awakened the animosity of the two in question i am perfectly ignorant of it madame a persevering denial is a very commonplace mode of defence and you who have great pretensions to be witty and clever ought to avoid commonplaces what else have you to say oh madame your majesty terrifies me with your cold severity of manner but i do not understand how i can have occurred your displeasure or in what respect people concern themselves about me then i will tell you monsieur de guiche has been obliged to undertake your defence my defence yes he is a gallant knight and beautiful adventuresses like to see such brave knights couch lances in their honor but for my part i hate fields of battle and above all i hate adventures and take my remark as you please la valliera sank at the queen's feet who turned her back upon her she stretched out her hands toward madame who laughed in her face a feeling of pride made her rise to her feet i have begged your majesty to tell me what is the crime i am accused of i can claim this at your hands and i see i am condemned before i am even permitted to justify myself ah indeed cried anne of austria listen to her beautiful phrases madame and to her fine sentiments she is an inexhaustible well of tenderness and heroic expressions 
one can easily see young lady that you have cultivated your mind in the society of crowned heads la valliere felt struck to the heart she became not whiter but as white as a lily and all her strength forsook her i wish to inform you interrupted the queen disdainfully that if you continue to nourish such feelings you will humiliate us to such a degree that we shall be ashamed of appearing before you be simple in your manners by the by i am informed that you are affianced is it the case la valliere pressed her hand over her heart which was wrung with a fresh pang answer when you are spoken to yes madame to a gentleman yes madame his name the vicomte de bragelonne are you aware that it is an exceedingly fortunate circumstance for you mademoiselle that such is the case and without fortune or position as you are or without any very great personal advantages you ought to bless heaven for having procured you such a future as seems to be in store for you la valliere did not reply where is the vicomte de bragelonne pursued the queen in england said madame where the report of this young lady's success will not fail to reach him oh heaven murmured la valliere in despair very well mademoiselle said anne of austria we will get this young gentleman to return and send you away somewhere with him if you are of a different opinion for girls have strange views and fancies at times trust to me i will put you in a proper path again i have done as much for girls who are not as good as you are probably la valliere ceased to hear the queen who pitilessly added i will send you somewhere by yourself where you will be able to indulge in a little serious reflection reflection calms the ardor of the blood and swallows up the illusions of youth i suppose you understand what i have been saying madame not a word i am innocent of everything your majesty supposes oh madame you are a witness of my despair i love i respect your majesty so much it would be far better not to respect me at all said the queen with a chilling irony of manner it would be far better if you were not innocent do you presume to suppose that i should be satisfied simply to leave you unpunished if you had committed the fault oh madame you are killing me no acting if you please or i will precipitate the denouement of this play leave the room return to your own apartment and i trust my lesson may be of service to you madame said la valliere to the duchess of d'orleans whose hand she seized in her own do you who are so good intercede for me i replied the latter with an insulting joy i good ah oh, mademoiselle you think nothing of the kind and with a rude hasty gesture she repulsed the young girl's grasp la valliere instead of giving away as from her extreme pallor and her tears the two princesses possibly expected suddenly resumed her calm and dignified air she bowed profoundly and left the room well said anne of austria to madame do you think she will begin again i always suspect those gentle patient characters replied madame nothing is more full of courage than a patient heart nothing more self-reliant than a gentle spirit i feel i may almost venture to assure you she will think twice before she looks at the god mars again so long as she does not obtain the protection of his buckler i do not care retorted madame 
a proud defiant look of the queen mother was the reply to this objection which was by no means deficient in finesse and both of them almost sure of their victory went to look for maria theresa who had been waiting for them with impatience it was about half-past six in the evening and the king had just partaken of refreshment he lost no time but the repast finished and the business matters settled he took saint Agnes by the arm and desired him to lead the way to la valliere's apartments the courtier uttered an exclamation well what is that for it is a habit you will have to adopt and in order to adopt a habit one must make a beginning oh sire said saint Agnes, it is hardly possible for every one can be seen entering or leaving those apartments if however some pretext or other were made use of if your majesty for instance would wait until madame were in her own apartments no pretext no delays i have had enough of these impediments and mysteries i cannot perceive in what respect the king of france dishonors himself by conversing with an amiable and clever girl evil be to him who evil thinks will your majesty forgive an excess of zeal on my part speak freely how about the queen true true i always wish the most entire respect to be shown to her majesty well then this evening only will i pay mademoiselle de la valliere a visit and after to-day i will make use of any pretext you like to-morrow we will devise all sorts of means to-night i have no time saint Agno made no reply he descended the steps preceding the king and crossed the different courtyards with a feeling of shame which the distinguished honor of accompanying the king did not remove the reason was that saint Agno wished to stand well with madame as well as with the queens and also that he did not on the other hand want to displease mademoiselle de la valliere and in order to carry out so many promising affairs it was difficult to avoid jostling against some obstacle or other besides the windows of the young queen's rooms those of the queen mothers and of madame herself looked out upon the courtyard of the maids of honor to be seen therefore accompanying the king would be effectually to quarrel with three great and influential princesses whose authority was unbounded for the purpose of supporting the ephemeral credit of a mistress the unhappy saint Agnes, who had not displayed a very great amount of courage in taking la valliere's part in the park of fontainebleau did not feel any braver in the broad daylight and found a thousand defects in the poor girl which he was most eager to communicate to the king but his trial soon finished the courtyards were crossed not a curtain was drawn aside nor a window opened the king walked hastily because of his impatience and the long legs of saint Agno who preceded him at the door however saint Agno wished to retire but the king desired him to remain a delicate consideration on the king's part which the courtier could very well have dispensed with he had to follow louis into la valliere's apartment as soon as the king arrived the young girl dried her tears but so precipitately that the king perceived it he questioned her most anxiously and tenderly and pressed her to tell him the cause of her emotion nothing is the matter sire she said and yet you were weeping oh no indeed sire look saint Agnes, and tell me if i am mistaken saint Agnes ought to have answered but he was too much embarrassed at all events your eyes are red mademoiselle said the king the dust of the road merely sire no no 
you no longer possess the air of supreme contentment which renders you so beautiful and so attractive you do not look at me why avoid my gaze he said as she turned aside her head in heaven's name what is the matter he inquired beginning to lose command over himself nothing at all sire and i am perfectly ready to assure your majesty that my mind is as free from anxiety as you could possibly wish your mind at ease when i see you are embarrassed at the slightest thing has any one annoyed you no no sire i insist upon knowing if such really be the case said the prince his eyes sparkling no one sire no one has in any way offended me in that case pray resume your gentle air of gaiety or that sweet melancholy look which i so loved in you this morning for pity's sake do so yes sire yes the king tapped the floor impatiently with his foot saying such a change is positively inexplicable and he looked at saint aignot who had also remarked la valliere's particular lethargy as well as the king's impatience it was futile for the king to entreat and as useless for him to try to overcome her depression the poor girl was completely overwhelmed the appearance of an angel would hardly have awakened her from her torpor the king saw in her repeated negative replies a mystery full of unkindness he began to look around the apartment with a suspicious air there happened to be in la valliere's room a miniature of athos the king remarked that this portrait bore a strong resemblance to bragelonne for it had been taken when the count was quite a young man he looked at it with a threatening air la valliere in her misery far indeed from thinking of this portrait could not conjecture the cause of the king's preoccupation and yet the king's mind was occupied with a terrible remembrance which had more than once taken possession of his mind but which he had always driven away he recalled the intimacy existing between the two young people from their birth their engagement and that athos himself had come to solicit la valliere's hand for raoul he therefore could not but suppose that on her return to paris la valliere had found news from london awaiting her and that this news had counterbalanced the influence he had been enabled to exert over her he immediately felt himself stung as it were by feelings of the wildest jealousy and again questioned her with increased bitterness la valliere could not reply unless she were to acknowledge everything which would be to accuse the queen and madame also and the consequence would be that she would have to enter into an open warfare with these two great and powerful princesses she thought within herself that as she made no attempt to conceal from the king what was passing in her own mind the king ought to be able to read in her heart in spite of her silence and that had he really loved her he would have understood and guessed everything what was sympathy then if not that divine flame which possesses the property of enlightening the heart and of saving lovers the necessity of an expression of their thoughts and feelings she maintained her silence therefore sighing and concealing her face in her hands these sighs and tears which had at first distressed then terrified louis the fourteenth now irritated him he could not bear opposition the opposition which tears and sighs exhibited any more than opposition of any other kind his remarks therefore became bitter urgent and openly aggressive in their nature this was a fresh cause of distress for the poor girl from that very circumstance therefore 
which she regarded as an injustice on her lover's part, she drew sufficient courage to bear not only her other troubles, but this one also. The king next began to accuse her in direct terms. La Valliere did not even attempt to defend herself. She endured all his accusations without according any other reply than that of shaking her head without any other remark than that which escapes the heart in deep distress a prayerful appeal to heaven for help but this ejaculation instead of calming the king's displeasure rather increased it he moreover saw himself seconded by saint agno for saint agno as we have observed having seen the storm increasing and not knowing the extent of the regard of which louis the fourteenth was capable felt by anticipation all the collected wrath of the three princesses and the near approach of poor la valliere's downfall and he was not true knight enough to resist the fear that he himself might be dragged down in the impending ruin saint agno did not reply to the king's questions except by short dry remarks pronounced half aloud and by abrupt gestures, whose object was to make things worse and bring about a misunderstanding, the result of which would be to free him from the annoyance of having to cross the courtyards in open day, in order to follow his illustrious companion to La Valliere's apartments. In the meantime, the king's anger momentarily increased. He made two or three steps towards the door as if to leave the room, but returned. The young girl did not, however, raise her head although the sound of his footsteps might have warned her that her lover was leaving her. He drew himself up for a moment before her with his arms crossed. For the last time, mademoiselle, he said, will you speak? Will you assign a reason for this change, this fickleness, for this caprice? What can I say, murmured La Valliere? Do you not see, sire, that I am completely overwhelmed at this moment, that I have no power of will, or thought, or speech? is it so difficult then to speak the truth you could have told me the whole truth in fewer words than those in which you have expressed yourself but the truth about what sire about everything la valliere was just on the point of revealing the truth to the king her arms made a sudden movement as if they were about to open but her lips remained silent and her hands again fell listlessly by her side the young girl had not yet endured sufficient unhappiness to risk the necessary revelation i know nothing she stammered out oh exclaimed the king this is no longer mere coquetry or caprice it is treason and this time nothing could restrain him the impulse of his heart was not sufficient to induce him to turn back and he darted out of the room with a gesture full of despair saint agno followed him wishing for nothing better than to quit the place louis the fourteenth did not pause until he reached the staircase and grasping the balustrade said you see how shamefully i have been duped how sire inquired the favorite de guiche fought on the vicomte de bragelonne's account and this bragelonne oh saint agno she still loves him i vow to you saint agno that if in three days from now there were to remain but an atom of, of affection for her in my heart i should die from very shame and the king resumed his way to his own apartments i told your majesty how it would be murmured saint agno continuing to follow the king and timidly glancing up at the different windows unfortunately their return was not like their arrival unobserved a curtain was suddenly drawn aside madame was behind it 
she had seen the king leave the apartments of the maids of honor and as soon as she observed that his majesty had passed she left her own apartments with hurried steps and ran up the staircase that led to the room the king had just left end of chapter twenty four recording by dion Drynes, salt lake city utah